amazing words that we heard just then from uh, Pastor Carl Fays about the attitude of society towards humility and its importance with regard to leadership and the influence that Jesus Christ had on that shift in attitudes towards uh, leaders and the traits and the characters, uh, characteristics that they should display. It's been interesting to reflect uh, on humili- humility in the past uh, few weeks or so, uh, especially in the past 24 hours as we've seen uh, our national cricket captain stand before the media and uh, uh, basically express his sorrow uh, over uh, uh, the ball tampering incident. We expect our leaders uh, to comply uh, with the rules of engagement, as it were, whether it comes to the leadership of the government uh, or just leading our much-loved sporting teams. But it hasn't always been so. There was a time when society would expect that a leader would never lower themselves uh, to uh, such a state, uh, wouldn't do a media conference and confess their sorrow over trying to uh, tamper with a cricket ball, uh, and certainly wouldn't deign to die on behalf of those who were supposedly following them. But when Jesus lowered himself, as it were, to not only death on behalf of all people on the first Good Friday, but to die in such a way that uh, he suffered uh, excessive humiliation, excessive pain, then he changed things forever in relation to how we view leadership and what it means uh, to be a follower as well. During this series, we've talked about the difference that Jesus made in relation to many areas of our life and our culture and our world. Areas such as equality, women and children, care for the poor and the sick and the disadvantaged. But Jesus, in the area of humility, really, uh, on Good Friday, took it to a new level. Pastor Carl Fays referred to two incidents uh, in Jesus' life that changed the way we view what it means to lead and also what it means to serve. And he referred to the first occasion when uh, Jesus uh, was with his disciples on uh, what we now call the Last Supper. It was the final meal that they shared together uh, on the night before Jesus was crucified uh, and uh, it was a poignant time uh, when they gathered together and shared quite an intimate occasion. In those days, uh, the way things worked was that people got around basically by walking. Uh, you were very privileged if you had anything more than that. So the standard form of transport was walking and the standard form of footwear was sandals. Uh, Now, in a hot, dusty climate, uh, when it came to walking and wearing sandals, it meant that you arrived at your destination often uh, quite the worst for wear and, in a nutshell, your feet didn't smell that good uh, when you got there. Now, this was especially complicated when it came to sharing a meal because uh, there was no such thing as uh, tables and chairs, uh, but in fact, usually uh, just a mat in the middle of a room, uh, a few cushions maybe, uh, if you had that luxury, maybe a low table, but the way that you ate was that you reclined next to the person next to you. You almost 
leant into their lap. And if their feet hadn't been washed, then you were in for a meal with a difference. You might have smelt their feet more than their food. Uh, so when Jesus and his disciples had arrived at the place where they were sharing uh, their last supper, uh, there was no servant present uh, to wash the feet of the guests uh, and to ensure that they can enjoy their meal in comfort. And Jesus did something that has now been documented uh, and, of course, recorded in the Bible and that has revolutionised the way we see what it means to be a leader. Uh, He got up, picked up a towel, got a bowl of water organised and began to wash the feet of his fellow guests, those who were his disciples. And initially they looked at what he was doing and they were just staggered. They couldn't believe that the person that they called rabbi and teacher would deign to do uh, something as lowly as wash the disciples' uh, feet, his fellow followers' feet. And uh, Jesus, uh, in, in doing this for them, set an example for the church and really for the rest of society for all time. And he explained it in this way, and I'm just going to grab my little clicker here and show that scripture. Uh, It said, firstly, that Jesus was able to do such a thing because he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. That refers to his crucifixion the next day. And uh, Jesus had this great sense of self-awareness, confidence you might call it, but it wasn't a self and awareness and a confidence that caused him to behave arrogantly, but instead to be free to serve those around him. And he explained to his followers after he'd washed their feet the following. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? They might have been tempted to say, you washed our feet so we could eat. (laughs) And he said, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you that no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus is saying that now that I, as the founder of the church, as it were, Uh, the saviour of all the world, have behaved in this manner to those who are around me, that those who say they are my followers should act and behave in the same way. In that way, Jesus revolutionised leadership for all time and changed what it meant to serve others and to indeed be the leader of other folks. Then later uh, in the piece, after Jesus had died on the cross and rose from the dead, uh, one of his best-known followers, the Apostle Paul, was writing to the church in Philippi and came to a point where he was encouraging the church to be humble towards each other, to lean into each other, to be uh, in their relationships, uh, unified and loving. And he came to the point where he appealed to the church to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And he used reference to the cross to explain the attitude that they should take with another, one another. And he said this, 
In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. So the fact that Jesus uh, was God and came from God when he was on earth did not use that as an opportunity to make people serve him or, or necessarily do what he wanted. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is saying here that the very act of Jesus becoming a human being, becoming one of us, was itself a humbling experience. But then once having arrived as a human being, didn't then become a king in the way that we understand it, but was willing to die for us and not only just die, but die in a way that was probably the worst form of execution of all time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was planning to come as Lord and Saviour of all the world and uh, uh, was saying, well, this is going to involve getting executed, I mean, I'm going for the era when they're using the firing squad. Uh, you know, I'm going for something clean and quick. I'm putting it back a 1,000 years or forward a 1,000 years and just shoot me and then I'll be the Saviour. But Jesus comes at a time in history when dying on the cross is the absolute worst experience that a person could go through. Now, you might say, what's the purpose of that? Why did he do that? Why did that occur? And I want to leave you with this as you reflect on this this morning. The death that Jesus died leaves no room for anyone to look at that and say, you didn't really mean it. You, you don't really love me. You, you, you just took the easy way out. Jesus' death on the cross proves for all time that God loves everyone and not just loves in the way that we love Easter eggs, but he loves them to the point of death and to the point of a death that really is unparalleled when it comes to humans thinking of ways to execute each other. When you look at the cross, you can be confident of this. God was so committed, was so serious, was so determined to reveal himself to you as a loving, caring God that there's no argument that you can put up against him and say, you don't really care, you, you didn't really mean it, I'm not sure if you really are my Lord and Saviour. The cross for you settles the argument for all time. God does love you. God does want to be your Lord and Saviour. God did sacrifice himself for you and the power of his death on the cross sets you free in a way that nothing else do. It goes on to say in Philippians, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, the truth is that somehow Jesus' death on the cross does change everything. We're not exactly sure how it works apart from the power of God's Holy Spirit. But because it was God's Son dying on the cross, 
that death breaks the power of sin in our life. It breaks the power of every wrong thing that we have ever done and every wrong thing that was ever done to us. Neither of those things no longer need have power over any person that comes to the cross. You just accept that it's so. You just receive the sacrifice of Jesus and you say, yes, I'm going to receive that freedom, that release from sin, that release of power, of the power of fear and evil over me. And I'm going to walk in the freedom that it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That invitation was one and is for everyone here today. No one is off limits. And I want to invite you now to step into a place where you receive that gift. You might be a person who has been to church many times and uh, you know considers yourself a Christian, and that's fantastic. This will be a very special time for you where we're going to share communion together, but where we're also going to hear from arguably the best known uh, and the greatest Christian speaker and preacher and minister of the 20th century, possibly uh, for all time. Many of you would have heard of the name Billy Graham. Uh, He's sometimes called America's pastor. Such was the influence that he had over not only Christians in America, but the entire nation. Not only that, Billy was heard by millions of people speaking around the world. And recently, at the age of 99, he went to be with Jesus. But true to form, not long before he died, he recorded his last message, sitting in his cabin, uh, in his home, I think in the state of Montana, and he preached the gospel again. And I just felt on Good Friday the opportunity to hear that message to have that love spoken over us again by the great Billy Graham was an opportunity too good to pass up. Now, this video goes for nine minutes uh, and it finishes with Billy inviting people to pray a prayer with him. And it's an invitation to pray designed firstly for those uh, who have never said yes to Jesus, that they would accept him and receive him and believe in him. And if you're in that place today... You might like to pray that prayer with Billy Graham. You might like to follow after him sentence after sentence and pray along with him. You'd be welcome to do that today. But I'm going to actually invite everyone here today to pray the prayer that Billy asks us to pray. For everyone, whether you've made a commitment or not, wherever you stand, to just say, hey, I'm going to say yes to Jesus again. Even if you prayed this prayer for the first time a long time ago, we're going to say, Lord, I just place my trust and my faith in you again. I commit myself to you again. I receive the power of the cross. And then we're going to have a time of communion down the front, which I'll lead you in straight after that video. Thanks, David. As I look back over my life, It's full of surprises. I never thought I would become friends with people in different countries all over the world. I see how God's hand guided me. 
when I began preaching many years ago, it was not with any thoughts that I'd be preaching to large audiences. Come to the cross. God has done this. Our country's in great need of a spiritual awakening. Well, there have been times that I've wept as I've gone from city to city and I've seen how far people have wandered from God. Of all the things that I've seen and heard, there's only one message that can change people's lives and hearts. There is a way if you come by the way of the cross. Tell people about the meaning of the cross. Not the cross that hangs on a wall or around someone's neck. We receive our freedom purchased by the ransom at the cross. But the real cross of Christ. The cross expresses the great love of God for me. It's scarred and bloodstained. His was a rugged cross. His real purpose for coming was to die. I know that many will react to this message, but it is the truth. And with all my heart, I want to leave you with the truth. God says, I love you. I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. That he loves you, willing to forgive you of all your sins. The cross is offensive because it confronts people. Even so, it's a confrontation that all of us must face. I look out across an audience when I stand up to preach, and I think of all the people with their different backgrounds and their various needs, and I know that they are objects of God's mighty love. To the point that he gave his son, his only son, to die upon a cross. And the cross was the most terrible form of execution by the Romans for criminals. And Jesus endured all that in our place because of our sins. We deserve the cross. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment and all that that means. I know that there are many people that dispute that. People don't want to hear that they're sinners. To many people, it's an offense. The cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evils which dominate so much of this world. One reason that the cross is an offense to people is because it demands, doesn't suggest, it demands a new lifestyle in all of us. Sin is a disease in the human heart. It affects the mind and the will and the emotions. Every part of our being is affected by this disease. How can we break this bondage? How can we be set free? God helps us break those chains. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
old things pass away. Everything becomes new. It can make you a totally new person. On that cross, God was laying on Jesus our sins. They not only put nails in his hands, but before that, they scourged him. A Roman scourge was a terrible thing. They took whips and pellets on those whips and beat a person almost to death. And then they took that cross and made him carry the cross, which was in his weakened condition was almost impossible. But he carried that cross to a place outside of Jerusalem. And then they put nails in his hands. But that was not the real suffering. The real suffering is when he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that terrible moment, he and God, the Father, were separated. He shed his blood, and the shedding of that blood carries with it God's very life. There is no other way of salvation except through the cross of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The only way to the Father, Father God, is through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now why Jesus? He's the only one that was born into this world without sin. But more than that, he was the righteous one. And when you come to him, you're clothed in his righteousness. God no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees your own heart. He sees Jesus. When you come to Christ, you come by the way of repentance. Repent means to change. To change your way of living and turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ and say, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And I know that you're the only one that can change me. Today, I'm asking you to put your trust in Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, sentence by sentence, after me. Let's pray with Billy. Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you've died for my sins. I believe that you died for my sins. And rose from the dead. And rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I turn from my sins. I repent of my sins. I repent of my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you. I want to trust and follow you. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's alive. I've given my life not to a dead Christ, but to a living Christ. 
and he's given me a song to sing. He's given me a flag to follow. I have reason for existence. I know where I've come from. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. Do you? What a powerful, inspiring message. What a powerful, inspiring life and what a gift that we've been given through the life and times of Billy Graham. Friends, we're going to invite you now to share uh, together in a time of communion. Uh, This is when we remember and commemorate uh, the Last Supper in the same way that Jesus broke bread with his disciples, drank wine with his disciples. He then invited all followers for all time to do the same. And he said that the bread represented his body, that, as Billy Graham said, the very life of God given for us, and that the wine, the fruit juice, represented his blood, the very life inside that body spilt on the cross for the sins of all mankind. The way that we're going to do it today is invite everyone to come down the stairs on this side, move across the front here, and approach the cross and take a small container of juice and a small piece of bread and then move to that side of the auditorium and really just wait there as long as you feel like you want to and then take the bread and the wine in front of the cross standing there. Uh, We are opening this invitation to everyone here today. Even if you are not someone who call yourself a Christian, if you want to acknowledge Jesus and acknowledge what happened on the first Good Friday, then you're welcome to come down the front as well, take the emblems, stand there and then eat them when you're ready and then move back on this side to your seat. I have only one request of you. Please be careful when you come down the front. It's a shared space down here and we've got a mat and cords as well. So please watch your step as you come forward. But now, when you're ready, perhaps uh, with the front rows first, Uh, I just invite you uh, to begin coming down to grab the emblems and then we'll work from the front towards the back coming down on this sign as we share communion together. Thanks, Sam. Soul of time. 
flows like a river.
works, please allow me to lead you in a prayer. Father God, we thank you for this Friday, Lord, because it is so, so good. Because it represents for all time the love of God expressed to all people through the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe that you've gathered every single person here today for a reason because you want every single person here to know and experience deep down your love for them. Lord, we stand here today and we say thank you, thank you, thank you that you did not abandon us or leave us to our own devices, that you came to rescue us and redeem us. And Lord, we ask on this Good Friday, that you would help us to walk from this place as humans fully aware and fully alive in you, as people entirely surrendered to you and your purposes and ready to share your love, your ministry and your mission with others in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods, in our community and Lord, even beyond our borders. Father, we thank you that you truly are the God who rescues and redeems, that you have set our feet upon a rock that is the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, now we go our way filled with love, filled with your Holy Spirit and blessed for all time because we were shown the truth of the cross of Good Friday. For these things, We pray gratefully and humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been wonderful to be together this morning and we are truly delighted that you are here with us today. Uh, I'd like to just uh, leave you with a few things uh, before we go. Uh, Firstly, uh, if you're not in regular fellowship uh, in a church, uh, then you're welcome to join us here at the Hills Christian Family Centre. We'll be back on Sunday for a special one-hour service, uh, family service, when all of our kids will be with us at that time and we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ this Easter Sunday. We're here, of course, every Sunday at the same time, take a little longer normally, with a full kids program for all of our kids. So if you're not in regular fellowship, uh, you're welcome to join us here at the Hills Christian Family Centre. If you'd like to know more about connecting with the church or what it means to be a Christian, You're welcome to come down the front afterwards and speak to myself or Judy or one of our leaders. We'd love to give you something to read and talk to you about that and even pray for you if you have a need today. We'd certainly be happy to do that. Right now, however, we'd like to invite everyone to morning tea with hot cross buns. Now, I know that's a favourite on everyone's list, but they're very religious. They've got a cross on them and, of course, they were designed to represent what Good Friday is all about. So, We're sanctioned for eating them on this day. So please feel free to hang around to enjoy some fellowship and some morning tea with us, hot cross buns and a drink. But in the meantime, go in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of the Father in their name. Amen.